Welcome to Category Visionaries, the show dedicated to exploring exciting visions for the future from the founders who are on the front lines building it. In each episode, we'll speak with a visionary founder who's building a new category or reimagining an existing one. We'll learn about the problem they solve, how their technology works, and unpack their vision for the future. I'm your host, Brett Stapper, CEO of Frontlines Media. Now let's dive right into today's episode. Hey, everyone, and thanks for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Luke Hansen, CEO and founder of Company Cam, a visual communication platform for contractors that raised $38 million in funding. Luke, thanks for having me today. Thanks for having me, Brad. I'm glad to be here. I want to kick things off talking about something very important, and that is your mustache. So this is an audio podcast, but we were talking about the pre-interview, and they're going to see your face in the imagery. So let's talk about it. What's the deal with this big, beautiful mustache? Yeah, so I like things that are interesting, and I don't like things that are boring. And so just like whatever, doing growing weird facial hair, because I was a roofer. That's part of the story of how company cam came to be. My dad owns a roofing company. I was roofing. And my excuse was always, look, I'm a roofer, so I can have a beard. I have a mustache. I can look ridiculous. So I did it, this mustache, maybe five years ago and went to a trade show because our customers are contractors, like, you know, people that would come to your home and build something or fix something, you know, and afterwards, when I would call people, they would remember me. They, oh, you're the guy with the mustache. And I thought, oh, that's powerful. Like that ability to be remembered. In fact, I just got off a call with our COO and I used this line that I've come to very much believe that often it is better to be different than it is to be better. Which what I mean by that is that like being memorable, having something that catches attention that can occupy some space in people's mind, kind of like what a good brand does is that like, there is an identity there. There's a unique place that that can live in your customer's mind. That is like your territory. That isn't just like one of these other 50 things. And there's a lot of ways to accomplish that. One of them is with like a weird, like when we raised our series B, we raised 30 million series B. I had a mullet and this ridiculous mustache. So it was like double ridiculous. Um, But what it is, is memorable and like it sticks with people. So I kind of believe in that, like broadly speaking, try to be memorable, try to be different. And that just being like 10% better isn't nearly as important as being like recognizably different. Is there a founder that's embraced that approach that you really admire? So a founder has embraced that idea of being different instead of better. So, you know, let's say heavy hitters here. Like, I feel like Steve Jobs did that incredibly well at Apple. Like they wanted to be great, but they also want, I mean, they put a handle on their Macs, like a handle, like a way to pick it up. Like no one had ever done that ever. You know, they made all these different colors, like things that were like, we want to like stand out and be recognizable. And, you know, Apple is sort of renowned for their brand and their design. So I would put him in that category. Like the other person that just came to mind was Elon Musk. I mean, the guy's like selling flamethrowers and like 2049 future trucks and going to space and putting, and then there's just a lot of stuff that's going on there, but there's like a, just making electric cars. Like there's something about being that is just different. And I'm sure that this is more broad than that, that this isn't exhaustive by any means, but I see that. And I think if this was just a 10% better car, that wouldn't be that compelling. The fact that it's like so different in so many ways, I think is what is part of what's extremely compelling to people. 
What about books? Are there any books that have had a major impact on you? And how we like to frame this, and we got this from Ryan Holiday, he calls them quick books. So a quick book is a book that really rocks into your core, influences how you think about the world and approach life. Do any quick books come to mind? You know, I would say more podcasts than books. I do read a lot of books. The one that just immediately pops into my head is, I'm looking at it on my shelf right now. It's What You Do Is Who You Are by the guy from Andreessen Horowitz, Ben Horowitz. Ben Horowitz. And you know, we had a new hire class. We hired five people that started last week and I meet with them kind of at the end of their first week. And that's one thing I tell them is that like, which is the lesson of this book, which is that you can write down all the sayings and the phrases and you can have mission and values and a vision. And, and it's good to have, I'm not down on that stuff, but like what you do, how you treat people every day, how you treat your customers, how you expect people to work, how you work, like what you do is your culture. And your ability to influence that with some phrases is very minimal. Your ability to influence that with how you act and how you treat people and the kind of, that's what is actually real. And I feel like it's something that I kind of, you kind of know already. And then someone articulates it really well, which I think Ben Horowitz did in that book. And it, it was really meaningful. So that's one that I would highly recommend. What about podcasts apart from this show you're on today, which of course your favorite, what's your second? This is favorite? number one. I'm always, no, the <laughs> gosh, you know, there's just a lot of people that I've found compelling and interesting. Like I listened to a bunch of Jordan Peterson stuff when it was kind of early on there and that I found all very compelling and interesting. And this idea of like, I don't know, kind of this like self-responsibility telling the truth. Like I see a lot of through lines to the kind of cultural people that kind of come up and kind of gather a following around like a message. I, I think of Gary Vee in this regard. When I was starting Company Cam, I was listening to a lot of his stuff. And there's kind of this like, hey, it's on you. Like, there's just no excuses. You are capable of more than you're doing. It's a little bit of the self-help stuff. But if you decide to believe it rather than be cynical, because you can always be cynical. Like it's And it's easy for me to be cynical about a lot of stuff. But that... As you start to kind of like believe that and try to put it into practice, it really is, I don't know, simplifying. Like you just have to take responsibility. Some things will happen that are good. Some things will happen that are bad. But like if back to the what you do is who you are, like how you do things now is going to just affect your future. And even from watching my my dad owned a roofing company or owns a roofing company. And that's how I got into tech, actually. It was just trying to solve a problem for them. And so much of that kind of like management of how you treat people just applies broadly. And what I saw him do was just treat people respectfully, fairly, employees, customers over a long period of time. And I saw that just work. Like I was on the employee side of that for a while, but that is just a sustainable way to do things that keeps your life relatively simple. And there's always a little hustle or a little scam. You know, you, we could get an extra grand out of the insurance company. There's all these ways in which you can kind of like compromise your values or, or like shortchange a person to the, your benefit or the benefit of the company. And that, that may work at the time, but that way of being just doesn't work well over a long period of time. And I feel like, I don't know, I think I've internalized that. Now, when we talk about technology, Silicon Valley comes to mind, but where it doesn't come to mind is typically Nebraska. I did change my mind a little bit there on that. So I, I came to Omaha in May for the Warren Buffett event, and I met with a, 
there used to be an operator. Now he's a venture capitalist who's based out of Omaha. And he told me that, you know, what the world thinks about Nebraska, they're wrong. There's a lot of tech. There's a lot of amazing entrepreneurs there. And there's just a lot of people in that ecosystem who are trying to build big things. So from your perspective, what's it like trying to build a tech company, you know, outside of Silicon Valley or New York City or some of these, you know, larger ecosystems? That's a great question. I mean, so I only know my experience. This is my first company and there are advantages, which is to say, well, as things go more remote, a lot of the world is, is kind of flattening. And so many of, let's say the great Silicon Valley companies that kind of became platforms in different ways. I'm picturing like Facebook, AWS, things that empower you to build such that you don't necessarily have to be so close to kind of the source and the knowledge that you can do that from anywhere. So I really like it here. And where we have a competitive advantage, I think, is in being kind of outside of the craziness that you can work here and you can work hard and you can care, but you can also, in a sense, maintain the balance that you want for your life. And that because we're not sort of living in San Francisco, and it's twice as expensive as Nebraska. And so our cost structure is just lower across the board. Now, the downside is I don't, bump into, not that everyone's bumping into Mark Andreessen, you know, but I, there isn't just the person who has scaled a SMB SaaS sales team three times before that I can bump into or hire or, you know, pick their brain. A lot of that kind of like just this knowledge of SaaS and how to run the business. You can figure a lot of that out, podcasts, blogs, you know, asking around, but it isn't like in the water here which, you know, can be good, but it's also, it does make it harder. How have you seen it evolve then over the past decade or roughly decades since you started the company? You know, I feel like I've seen everything become more and more democratized. And it, COVID was like the, I don't know, was it the straw that broke the camel's back? But the kind of, all of a sudden everyone went home and they're like, oh, I don't know if I want to go back, you know? And so we have an office. We overwhelmingly came back, but a bunch of our product and engineering team, like the vast majority of it is remote mostly in the United States and then a little bit international. But I've seen more sort of like good companies be able to kind of like get off the ground here because of the infrastructure that's available. And it's been somewhat broadly available, but it's just like more and more your infrastructure, especially at the beginning, you can just sort of spin up without big time expertise. But then also the digital like go to market channels like you don't need as many of these, I don't know, like partnerships or like, I don't need to know Drew Houston from Dropbox to get my thing off the ground or, you know, be able to get on the phone with Microsoft. Like with that comes to selling to a broader range of customers. Like we are selling to contractors. These aren't the most technologically adept people. They're usually, I mean, they're often quite sharp and some of them are very, you know, tech savvy. But just in general, it's a kind of a lagging, industry in the adoption of technology. And there's just continual opportunity to sell to these, I say niches. I mean, there's a huge TAM in construction, right? And there's a lot of areas where if you can make the product, that's the killer product for, you know, dog groomers or just something like that, you can have a big successful, even a venture backed successful business. And you don't necessarily need to be located in San Francisco to do that. And I, to me, that both the broadening of who is buying software, 
and the fact that the infrastructure exists. It's what's fueling this you can be anywhere idea. Let's switch gears here a bit and let's dive into the company. So I introduced you as a visual communication platform for contractors. What does that mean? What does the platform do? I mean, it, what it started out was we have, we're going out to all these job sites, you know, we're, we're going to estimate your roof. This is when I was working for my dad at our roofing business and contractors, whether it's roofers, plumbers, pool builders, you know, they're all taking photos because they're out manipulating the physical world. They're cleaning something, tearing it down, building it. You know, this is what they're doing and they're taking photos. Photos are a version of their insurance policy, a way for them to plan and we were doing that and we just had a disaster. This is back when people would hand you like the little micro SD card from their phone, you know, that you'd like slide into the bigger adapter and then into your computer. And I just had this mess, like nothing was organized. You know, what color were those gutters? And I thought like, we got to do something about this. And that's, that's where the idea came from was like, what if we just automatically organized all the photos we're taking by the location? It was as simple as that. Then we could find them and we wouldn't have to have people uploading them to the Dropbox or whatever else. And so at its core, it just uses your GPS as a way for at a company level to get all your photos organized by the right project. And then on top of that, you can create these before and after photos, photo reports, you can comment and we, we serve them up in the kind of an Instagram style feed. So they're not hidden in folders. And that I guess I would say is the real sticking thing for people is that, you know, when you have a problem of organization, like when you can't find something, that's a pain that you feel that you're aware of. You really don't know what you would do with this capability that we give you to kind of like see what's going on at every project your company's working on. And once people get that, once they get that almost Instagram feed at their business, they don't want to go back from it. And so that's why we say visual communication rather than just like it's a photo app for contractors is that it, it allows them to run their business differently and and it works quite well. What types of contractors are you selling to? Is this like the kind of digitally native next generation that are you know, younger and used to living and, and spending all, all their time on apps like Instagram? Or is this also being sold to like the you know, contractors who've been in this space for 20 or 30 years and they're just looking for ways to adapt and evolve? Yeah, it's definitely both. I think, you know, we get a little quicker uptake, like the more you're just sort of open to technology and there's, you know, there's type of people that are interested in exploring and we do great with those people because they're like, oh, let me test this out. You know, click, 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 click. Oh, this is cool. This is handy. I'll use this. But most contracting businesses, they skew older, they skew male, at least in the, like the ownership and the, so that's a huge part of our customer base. And definitely it's the value of having these records and kind of like knowing what's going on is with the value that we're trying to sell. And it really cuts across all these trades, you know? So we would say our customers are trade contractors. They're usually not building a stadium. They're building like an addition on a house or they're redoing the roof or painting it or, you know, all these different trades. And what I've told our team is like, we are solving problems that affect every contractor not things that are specific to roofers or plumbers or pool builders or whatever. And that's a big enough area that you can really do something, but it's also narrow enough that you can focus and you're not competing with like Slack and Dropbox and, and kind of these like products that are sort of for the world, you know, for anyone that has any business could use one of those products. And so we think of ourselves as like horizontal across this space, but a little more vertical or kind of niche that 
these are our customers and we're trying to make the best product for them. This show is brought to you by Frontlines Media, a podcast production studio that helps B2B founders launch, manage, and grow their own podcast. Now, if you're a founder, you may be thinking, I don't have time to host a podcast. I've got a company to build. Well, that's exactly what we built our service to do. You show up and host and we handle literally everything else. To set up a call to discuss launching your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. Now back to today's episode. Was it hard to find investors that understand this space and were interested in backing a company in this space? I feel like a lot of the investors that you know I have on the show, they're you know focused on developer tooling or cybersecurity SaaS, things like that. But I'm guessing with this, are there investors that just focus on this market? Or did you have to convince investors that this is the market that they should focus on? Yeah, that's a great question. So there are some investors that just focus on this market, or at least that have a subset of their team that focuses on this market. Early on, we self-funded through you know, essentially our family roofing business. Like we just were like, hey, we believe in this. We're going to, rather than go try to raise money and give away equity day one, we're going to fund it for a little while. And so I didn't have to convince them day one. But even after we had material, you know, ARR, and we were running the like, do contractors really care about photos? I mean, that was like a hard sell. And that was my joke is that it's way easier to raise $30 million than it is to raise $3 million. Uh, Because by the time you're trying to raise $30 million, it's much more of a financial question and a future vision than trying to prove to people that anyone cares about your product. And so that was a little bit hard. But by the time we really went out to fundraise, we had enough traction and in a sense data to say like, this is a real problem. And I would always say, go, you know, a contractor, I'm sure, you know, one. go ask them, are they taking pictures? Look at their phone. I promise you they will have pictures of like their kids. And then it'll be all these pictures of these jobs that they're working on. And it's all mixed together. And they don't want that. They want to keep those separate. And so that's the route we took. Now, what comes to mind, like our first sort of official funding was from Blueprint Equity out of San Diego. And they're not exclusive to this space, but they know it pretty well. They've done a few investments in kind of this general construction space. And I remember when I talked to them, I thought, oh, I'm not having to answer these same skeptical questions. It's like, they already know this, that this is important. And so we're just talking about almost like the details, you know, the future. So yeah, there is some, but it's not, it's not that big. How big's the TAM here? That's a debate between my CFO and I on a regular basis. I'm, you know, I like, we would say the TAM is on the order of like 4.5 billion. That's what we think the, our sort of addressable market is now then the sort of a more realistic TAM of, we're not going to get hundred percent of the market is probably in the like one to 1.5. And th- I'm speaking about like ARR specifically that we think is like the obtainable market here. If we can get, you know, between 20 and 30% of the contract and it's very, it's like loose, you know, it's not all connected to where you're just going to get everyone using the same thing. And I don't know that we have that level of network effects or can jumpstart those. So it's big, but it's not, it's not Salesforce. It's not, it's big enough to be interesting to venture, but not so big that you're going to get like hundred million free to, to go make something crazy. <laughs> Makes sense. What about growth and adoption? Are there any numbers that you can share that highlight some of the growth and adoption you're seeing? Yeah. So we, I mean, we hit our billionth photo 
I believe yesterday afternoon. So we have a billion photos that have been captured in company cam. We've got on the order of 30,000 companies using company cam, you know, regularly. We're projecting that we're going to end the year, let's say at a, like approaching 50 million of ARR. And so we're moving along, you know, and we think there's a lot out there. That's what's exciting to me is like, I look, do I want to make money? Absolutely do. I would love to make a metric shit ton of money, but what kind of keeps me going and I love trying to like solve a problem. Hey, can we build this? Can we actually do this? You know, this other big problem or this space like that. That's what's so interesting and exciting to me. And I hear a lot of people talking about like before they've even been raised, this is how we're going to do it. This is how we're going to exit. You know, they've got this like whole plan in their mind and I run much more on what are the things that we need to do to make this company valuable? And I probably err too much on that side of like, like, I don't care about your pro forma. I don't care about a whole bunch of this stuff. Like there's practical things we need to build. There's practical story we need to tell selling. There's all this actual on the ground practical. We have to do this. And now where we're at eight, we're eight years in, we're better at forecasting and projecting and, and things like that. But I feel like early on, like you have real problems and the main problem is no one gives a shit. No one gives a shit about your product. No one knows about it. It probably doesn't do everything you need it to do. And like, gosh, those are the things you need to solve. And if you make something valuable, you will be able to figure out how to capture a bunch of that value. And so just, yeah, I say that a lot. Like if we create value, we will be able to capture it. We don't have to have the entire formula before we start. Let's create a bunch of value. And then a version of it will work itself out. Let's imagine five years in the future, you have a huge exit, you have your metric shit ton of money. What would you do with your time? What would you be working on if your money just didn't matter at all? Or where would you put that money? What types of things would you be investing in? That's a great question. So the joke around here, I made this joke to my wife and my mom. It didn't land as good as I wanted it to. But, you know, my 10 year old was, they were talking about what's he going to be when he grows up? I said, he's not going to have to work. He's going to be smoking weed on the beach. Like <laughs> we're going to be set. It, it, and so like, for me, I know myself well enough to know I'm going to want to do something. And so I'm actively, what I want to avoid is like, there's always a trap of the next guy's richer than you. They had a nicer car, watch, plane, what, a, you know, I'm sort of actively trying to stay away from any of that. Cause it's easy to kind of imagine and tell yourself a story about the future, but I just love building stuff. And so I imagine myself you know, I'm probably going to be selling bidets, Brett, <laughs> to be totally honest. We should be using bidets in this country. It is a just a disgrace that we're not using them. There's one company out there, Tushy, I'm plugging them right now. They sell bidets, but I think they mainly target like women in their marketing, which makes sense for bathroom products. But I think that there's an opportunity to sell bidets to men in this country and I've been wanting to do that for a long time. So that might be what I do, or I'll probably have some other actual good idea, or I hope I do, but I just see myself taking a little breather, you know, traveling, the stuff that's fun, but then, you know, building is fun. It's really fun. Yeah. It's one of the highlights whenever you go to Europe is that you get to experience bidets there. I was just there and I was asking my fiance, like, is this okay that I, I enjoy a bidet? And uh, <laughs> envy on it, but I'll, I'll, I'll share this interview with her and let her know it. It's normal. <laughs> yeah. Tell her that she needs to get with it. I mean, like this is the future and we are like these 
across the pond peasants who don't, you know, have yeah, exactly. Sorry, that's where I was over. We are the barbarians in this story. <laughs> so funny. That's such a unique answer as well. I love it. Now, in terms of your competition, is your main competition just them using their iPhones and not having purpose-built tooling? Or who is that main competition? Yeah, our main competition. I mean, there's a handful of copycats and like over the years, people have tried to kind of rip it off. And so we have like a, I would say a very small competition. It's very rare that someone's in our sales funnel and they're like, well, we're thinking about using XYZ competitor to you. You know, there's a few that exist, but that's not much of it. It is overwhelmingly like the good enough solution. The, hey, well, we're organized in Dropbox, so we're not really feeling the pain or yeah, we got the photos on our phone and eh, that's sort of good enough. Like that is basically the competition or we're getting more now into kind of like forms and checklists and and some of this. And so you're competing with like paper, which is often the good enough solution. But yeah, that's been simultaneously one of our best assets. Like I, when I was talking about being different, this product, it's simple to understand, but it's also something of a new especially when we started a new category, like it's not just accounting software, or I always used to call it like run your business software, just a vertical SaaS for painters that just runs your painting business and you put everything in there. It's like a productivity tool in a sense for our customers. And so we never had much luck with like Google ads or areas where there had to be intention at the beginning. We did extremely well on like Facebook, Instagram, TikTok where we can show you and we can try to get your imagination going of, oh, I didn't really know that my problems in this kind of category could be solved in this way. And so that was sort of tricky. Like it's a benefit because you don't have a bunch of competition, but it's, you're doing more kind of like education and you don't have as many people just like typing into Google and just you pay 10 bucks to pop up on top. In terms of the growth that you've seen, what do you attribute to that growth? Obviously, you know, let's separate the mustache. I know that had a huge impact, but let's separate that. What else have you done to you know, rise above that noise and, and grow in the way that you have? Impossible to separate the mustache. No, the, I mean, I believe very much in product. I mean, I, I've had plenty of arguments around here in just in general, like, do you really have to have the best product? Does it, do you have to try to have a consumer grade experience and, and you know, other companies make money and they don't have the best product. And I'm like, no, we're going to be the best. If we are the best, we're never going to lose. We may not, you know, if we were smarter with sales and marketing, we may do better, but like having the best product that solves a real problem for real people that they care about, it's hard to understate how important that is. And I've heard an interview with Mr. Beast recently, and he was talking about the, that the quality of the idea, like the theme of your video that that's like between that and kind of just the thumbnail, the title, that's 90% of the value. Like if you get that right, you are way ahead and you should spend way more time thinking about that, like the quality of the idea and, this, and in this case, the quality of the product. So that was huge because we've seen through referrals, there's a lot of things that have just scaled as our business has grown and people love to talk about things that they like and things that make them sound smart. And so if people like your product and they feel smarter because they use it and they can tell someone else about it and they'll feel like that they'll sound smart when they talk about it, that's a huge win. And I've seen that in our case, people will talk about us at, you know, when they're speaking at some event for, for flooring companies, you know, and it, cause it, 
they like it and it makes them sound smart and it's like something to offer. And so I think I've lost track of the question. I'm rambling. <laughs> no worries. I, I like the rambling. Let's dive a bit deeper into funding. So as I mentioned there, 38 million you've raised so far. What have you learned about fundraising throughout this entire process? Well, that having a good business, good product, good people on your team, good customers is that's the number one thing. Like when it comes down to fundraising, you are talking to someone whose main job is finance. Now, everyone's ready for a good story. I mean, we're podcasting here. You don't want just someone reading a spreadsheet. Like you want to be able to tell a compelling story about the future. You don't always have to have the numbers. And early on, it's all the story. And what I would say is like, you'd better believe that story. And even beyond investors, I would argue it's harder to hire the first three to five people than it is to get the first round of like to get some seed investment because that investor parting with 25 grand, 50, a hundred, even a million for certain people or organizations is a lot smaller of a decision than someone quitting their job and coming and working for you in somewhere that is unproven, you know, like the people that you want, they have opportunities. These are not, you know, they could go do a lot of different things, work at a lot of different places and your belief in the future is just so important as a founder. It doesn't mean you know exactly how it's going to play out, but that you have that conviction that this is a real problem and that we have a real solution and that we're capable of a lot. And our Series B funding, you know, we talk to a ton of people, you know, you're getting grilled on Zoom because it was, you know, still kind of COVID time. And I decided going in, I, rem I remember thinking like, I believe in the future of this company more than any of these people disbelieve in it. So I'm not going to get down. I'm going to listen because these are smart people with a lot that have seen a lot of things and can give you some really good advice. But I'm just going in with this. I believe more than they disbelieve. And I know that I do. Like, I know that I believe in this more than their doubts. And so that confidence is actually contagious. And it's contagious to your employees. It's contagious to your investors. And I don't know, like, I don't know if you can really manufacture it. Like a lot of, a lot of people have this idea that entrepreneurs are these sort of wildly positive, everything is, you know, glowing and going to work out perfectly type of thing. And I don't really think that's true. I think a lot of good entrepreneurs are actually very skeptical people and they're very critical of ideas. And I know this was the case for me. I tried to tear this idea down when I was thinking of starting this company every which way. Like, okay, what about this? What about this? Maybe it couldn't work for this. Why has no one done this already? In trying to run through all of these ways that you're wrong about something and that you build that confidence and that like conviction by assaulting your idea and your plan so much that when it comes out the other side and you can't actually tear it down, that you're like, okay, I have taken every tool at my disposal and run it against this. And now like I really believe in it. That is the foundation for you to hire people that believe in it. That is the foundation to raise money. And then the further you go down the line, the proof is in the pudding. You know, you're not raising on hopes and dreams on your series B like you are on your, your seed round, but your ability, your belief and your ability to tell the story and your conviction about the future is definitely important. And I think, I think helped us because you really want to invest in someone who really cares and who really believes in it. They got to be a true believer. They can't be the skeptical, 
I mean, they can be a skeptical person, but they got to be committed to what they're doing. Confidence is contagious. I love that line. I'll be stealing that and using that going forward. So Run with thanks it. for that sunbite. <laughs> Final question here. We're almost up on time. Let's zoom out three to five years into the future. What's the big picture vision here? I think we have an opportunity to be the mediator on the homeowner to contractor relationship in doing a project. Like there is no actual good process, standard process around that, that you as a homeowner can know, oh, this is going to happen. Then this is going to happen. Then this is going to happen. And I can see it all happen. So we think we have a real opportunity to take our kind of like visual communication value prop that we are giving to the contractor and include the homeowner in that. And that has like a lot of offshoots. And related to that, I'm extremely excited about AI and what it unlocks in terms of how we're going to be able not just to build software like it will write code for you, but I think these large language models are going to fundamentally change the way that we interact with software and the ability to treat the software that you're using as a smart person who knows what's in the database and can just interact with you the way that you would talk to your CFO or your lawyer or something that that is going to happen and that we, because we, I would say we own that on the ground data capture, the photos, the form info, we're in a really unique position to kind of use these large language models to make that more valuable for our customer's business. So those are the two kind of like big things that we're aiming at. And I think they're both achievable, but you know, everything is always harder than it sounds at the front. So we'll have to see how it goes. Amazing. Well, I love the vision. I love the approach that you're taking to building the company. And I've really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, it's going to be a hit with our audience. So really excited to get it out there. Now, before we wrap up here, if any founders listening in just want to follow along with your journey, where should they go? So our socials are at company cam on everywhere. Company cam as in camera. I am at Profe Luke, P-R-O-F-E-L-U-K-E on Twitter. Uh, if you want to harangue me about anything. Otherwise, yeah, we're posting more. We're posting, we're doing TikToks. We're going out to work. I'll be, I'll be doing landscaping work tomorrow all day. I don't know if I mentioned that, but uh, we're going to go be the new guys for a day at one of our customers' businesses. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they're going to put us to work doing the worst work they can dream up. And so it, there should be some fun stuff happening in that regard. And I think what you will count on if you follow along with company cam is that it will not be boring. It may be offensive. It may be lame or cringe, but we're going for not boring. We used to have it internally, this idea of a, uh, we talked about it a lot called OTL marketing or on the line marketing. And we said, I'm like one side it's, uh, boring as fuck. And on the other side is prison. And you want to try to get as close to that line as you possibly can and hug that line of controversy and use that to, uh, to generate buzz. So that's the line I'm stealing from you. OTL marketing and, and, and boring or prison. I like that is perfect. Yeah. I love it. All right, Luke. Well, hey, man, thanks so much for taking the time. This has been a lot of fun. I appreciate it, Brad. Thanks, man. All right, keep in touch. This episode of Category Visionaries is brought to you by Frontlines Media, Silicon Valley's leading podcast production studio. If you're a B2B founder looking for help launching and growing your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. And for the latest episode, search for Category Visionaries on your podcast platform of choice. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode. 